You're listening to audio from St. Luke Church in Lexington, Kentucky. If you'd like to learn more or donate to this ministry, please check out our website at stlukelex.com. You doing okay? Happy Sunday. Glad you are here. We are making our way through the book of Jonah. Always good for a summertime, especially when you've got wonderful missionaries and great trumpeters, and what a great day. I love it. Uh, Let's go ahead and read our scripture together. This comes from Jonah chapter 2, and we'll pick off where we left off last week. Let's do it with some chutzpah. Here we go. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Well, we have a lot of names for it. Puke. Vomit, barf, abdominal throat missiles, calling Ralph on the big white telephone, and praying to the porcelain god. It's going to be a messy Sunday, friends. Yes, but it's good. Say it with me. Puking is good. I don't think you're convinced. Sure it is. The buildup is much worse than the act itself. And usually, (laughs) the retired pastor section, I think I've completely freaked him out today. (laughs) And usually when it's over, you start to feel better, that's for sure. Last week, uh, we talked about Jonah and how he was this missionary who was very much on the run. The sea gets rough. Uh, He heads out on the boat. He's in the bottom of this great ship. And everybody's praying to their God, and they wake up Jonah, and they say, hey, you need to pray to your God too. And I think Jonah would have rather slept. Instead, he says, ah, you know what? Throw me overboard into the middle of the sea. And so sure enough, they do. And the best part about the story is that it's the Lord who appoints the fish to go and swallow Jonah. This isn't some, you know, wistful or wishful kind of happening where a whale just comes upon Jonah. It's God's 
providence and guidance that does this. And Jonah is actually the third recorded person in history who's been swallowed by a whale. Marshall Jenkins in 1771 was swallowed by a whale and not long thereafter vomited up onto uh, someone else's nearby cargo ship. And in 1891, James Bartley is reported to have spent two days in the belly of a whale. And a uh, whale harpooner harpooned a whale nearby, and Bartley, of course, was spit up onto the boat. So, Jonah was number one, though. And when we read about these tales, I, I think we say, well, are, are those just a whale of a tale, or are they real? Can you really survive in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights? And to some degree, this misses the point. You know, Jonah's at the bottom. He's run 2,500 miles from God's call upon his life. He's neglected the word of the Lord. He said, throw me into the heart of the sea, and now he is in literally the mess of the belly of a great fish, we're told. God has his attention, clearly. And what we can't miss, as I've already told you, is that God is the one who provides that fish. Jonah doesn't drown. When he says, hey, throw me into the midst of the sea, Jonah doesn't drown. God comes and provides a fish and uses this experience to change his life. And to see the rescue, well, that's the real miracle of the story. Because in the whale, Jonah prays. We don't really get record of Jonah doing that when he ran. We don't really hear record of Jonah discerning the call of God and praying about it. But for the first time, maybe in quite some time, Jonah begins to pray and say, well, I really am in a pickle here, Lord, and I need some help. And we tend to get caught up in all the possibilities of how prayer works and why it works and what sort of prayer works the best. In fact, there's all kinds of books that'll tell you if you use this formula, it will go best for you as if it's some kind of statistical anomaly that you need to solve. And yet that's not the case at all. God provides this fish as a moment to reconnect with the one who he had sent on a mission to a people who'd be destroyed without the message that he was there to provide. And every missionary or pastor or teacher or, for that matter, Christian has a moment in which they need to get real before God and puke out, if necessary, all of the stuff that's in their heart and their life and be real. And that might be just one of the most difficult things for people who've sat in a pew for their entire life to do, to be real and authentic and vulnerable before God. Are you with me? To get real before God gives him the opportunity to renew us and then release us for mission. And that's what happens in Jonah's life. But before we get there, we've got to recognize that much like being sick to our stomach, we have all sorts of different euphemisms to talk about death. And that's where we need to go in our story today because it's Jonah who's been in the belly of this great fish for three days and three nights. And to say such a thing is a way of talking about, in the ancient world anyway, it's like saying Jonah is just as good as dead. And we have all kinds of phrases for that today. You know, phrases like bought the farm we, we use. Three days is as good as dead. It's over. He's failed the mission. And God needs to raise up somebody new at this point. At least that's what we think. You ever been at that place? Where you feel maybe... Like you failed, 
like God is absent, like the prayer that you prayed that wasn't answered or at least in the way that you wanted. Or maybe you did pray and you got what you wanted and you realized, man, this really wasn't the right thing to begin with anyway. Or maybe it's a moment where God is totally silent. You wonder, are you going to talk to me at some point? Or maybe you get a no. Anybody like those? You ever been at that moment? See, I think that's where Jonah was. Stuck in the gastric juices of this great fish, struggling and wondering what it was that could possibly be next for his life. And in such a moment, God desires that we cry out to him. In fact, that's the word that the scriptures use over and over again, to cry out to God. This isn't sort of a you know, nice, kind little prayer. The idea is to literally let it all go, to be real and authentic and vulnerable before God, to release everything that's within us. The Israelites become quite efficient at crying out to God. They do it over and over again. They end up in a mess, and then what do they do? The Scriptures record in Exodus and Judges and all sorts of other places that the Israelites cry out to God, deliver us, save us, help us. It's a mess down here. Is that how you tend to approach it? The psalmist, I should say the psalms, capture these so brilliantly at so many points. If you haven't read your psalms lately, I'd encourage you to go there. In fact, maybe one of my favorites in this regard is Psalm 137. To set it up for you, the people of God have been captured. They're in captivity in Babylon. Picture it now. You've lost your house. You've lost your job, you've lost members of your family, your neighbors, you've watched people die. For months upon months, people laid siege to your city, and everything has been completely broken and busted in two. To make matters worse, you're taken to a foreign land with a foreign language, and foreign people begin to run your life. And the last verse of the psalm captures it so brilliantly, and we struggle with it, because surely we shouldn't read such things in the Bible. And yet the psalmist records for us something to the effect of, happy is the one who dashes your children against the rocks. Now you say that you've never felt that way, but I beg to differ. To be real, to be authentic, to be vulnerable, to pour out our hearts before God. Can we do that? Can we be honest? Even yell? And say, where are you? And why don't you answer me? Bruce Almighty did. Maybe we can too. I think Jonah, in Jonah chapter 2, really writes his own psalm of sorts. And it's really captured by two movements, a way down and then a way up. Take a look at it. I've given you pieces of it here and there. It starts out with, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Just in case you missed it, I highlighted a bunch of them in yellow for you. Surrounded, passed over, driven away, closed in, surrounded, wrapped about, the bars closed upon me forever. The way down, Jonah's saying, this is a mess, God. This is as bad as it gets. 
Yet within it, there's a little bit of hope. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. And that's what we need, don't we? A little bit of hope on the way down. In the midst of our struggle or discouragement or darkness or being in the vomitous mass of a great fish, we need a little bit of hope. Remember where Jonah is. He's in the midst of the sea. And in the, in the ancient world, the sea was a place of chaos. And I wonder if Jonah didn't just begin to remember that God was a God who calmed the seas at the very beginning of creation. In fact, the book of Genesis tells us in chapter 1 that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And it's God who makes the land and the water and the sky begin to separate from one another. Out of the chaos comes great order. Or maybe Jonah remembers the story of the Israelites and how in the Exodus the Egyptians chased them to the edge of the Red Sea and it was God who parted it and allowed them to walk straight through. Or maybe Jonah knew what we knew today, that there would come a time in which God himself would walk among us, a living, breathing, flesh and blood human being. And when the Sea of Galilee turned into storms, with one simple word, God would calm the seas. And so Jonah's psalm continues. Yes, he goes all the way down to the depths, but out of the depths comes hope. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, Jonah says. And then as he pours it all out before God, the end of the psalm says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, and but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In the darkest moment, when he was in the depths of the grave, as good as dead, he cries out before God, even though he walked away from him, even though he denied the mission, and God delivered him. And some of you say, okay, well, that's all well and good, but why should we even be talking about this today? Because we need it. And it should be absolutely transforming for us as the people of God today, because more often than not, I wonder if our prayers aren't God, just simply bless what it is that we're doing. God, get us out of this latest disaster we've placed ourselves in. And never stop to think how it is that we've arrived at such a juncture. How have we thrown ourselves into the heart of the sea, into the midst of the chaos, instead of listening to the voice of the Lord who would guide us from place to place? Is that us? God, just fix my mess, fix my problem, but don't fix me. Don't make me change. And yet look at what Jonah does. He pukes out all the garbage. It's not bless me. It's not bless this mess. But thanks. And what I vowed I will pay. And salvation belongs to you. You know, it's fascinating that people want out of the vomit and the filth in their lives without going through the belly of a fish. And yet there's no salvation, there's no deliverance unless you go through the belly of the fish first. Without the gravity of sin, people miss the power of grace. And no one finds deliverance in our culture because all too often we've simply condoned all as being well. And it's not. 
It's not. We don't have to condemn anybody. But do we always need to condone? Isn't one of the greatest things we could ever say to another human being, brother, sister, you're walking off a cliff, and I want to stop you before you get there. Now let's stop and pray about that together. What would that look like? Or, hey, I've known you for a long time. Is this really what you want for your life? Is this what God would desire? Why do we avoid it? Is it what's politically correct? Is it because it's easier to not say anything? Or is it because to some degree we tend to make an idol of ourselves? It's really hard to admit something's wrong, isn't it? It's hard to admit before somebody else, yeah, you know, my Instagram highlight reel, that's not really all of my moments, it's just the best ones that I choose to share with you. Our prayer tends to be, God, get us out, not thanksgiving that I'm here, and it's time for the mess to be fixed. It's time to stop talking about being blessed and to start talking about the way in which we're broken. And that's what I love about the way that the old school NIV version of the scriptures capture verses 8 through 9. Notice what it says. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be yours, theirs, excuse me. And I wonder, I wonder this. I wonder when we're so interested in our own ways of manipulating and moving through the mess that we make. I wonder if we forfeit the grace that could be ours if we'd simply stop and surrender as Jonah did. And in the belly of the fish, on the way down, say, God, I have made a complete and utter mess of this. I don't know what to do, but you do. Help. Well, I think what the story of Jonah shows us is very simple. Out of such an encounter, people experience revival. And if there were an ongoing need for the mission field, it's that the missionaries need to be revived. The missionaries need to be revived. There's a spiritual need for every follower of Jesus Christ who's on a mission in their life to experience a spiritual renewal of sorts. And yet I think we tend to avoid it because we get busy or we say, you know what, we're tired. I don't want to serve. I've already done it. I've, I've rather pursue something else. And so our hearts get weak and our minds, well, they begin to be full. And that's when the pride comes out. And we say, well, I'm good. I'm saved. I've gone, I go to church. I've, I've been a Christian since age eight when I ran down to the altar and pastor so-and-so was the pastor then and he prayed for me. And listen, all that's great. It's great. But it begs of us the question, how has God been at work in your life since then? Are you a little more like Jesus today than you were yesterday? And if not, what is it that's happening in your life? Is there room for God to be at work? Do you pour out your heart to God? Or is it just, I'm good, you're good, and if it's not too much trouble, let's do something nice for somebody today. All along, what God, I think, ultimately wants is for us to be real with him. 
He's not surprised. He knows where you've been. He knows where you've, what you've done. He knows what hurts you. He knows whom you haven't forgiven. He knows how you struggle. So why can't we just be real? What's with the facade? And Jonah teaches us otherwise. My encouragement to you is this. Have a friend who you can spill out your guts to. Get in a Sunday school group or a house group. We'd love to talk to you about that. Who will help you be real with one another. Engage in the spiritual disciplines daily. And don't just read what's on the page, but pour out your heart to God. And if you don't understand, say, you know, I don't, help me. Where you're struggling, tell God you struggle. How you're hurting, tell God that you're hurt. The people that you want to kill, not literally, pray for them. And even more, ask God to help you forgive them. How about we start being real before God like that? It's great that you say thanks. It's great that we say, hey, bless. But what about being real before God? See, I think when Jonah is finally real before God and is willing to go through the belly of a fish for three days, well, that's when he's vomited back onto dry land. I told you at the beginning, puking is good. You didn't believe me, but now you do. That's when we're released. And here's the thing. You'll never walk away from an encounter with God without an incredibly powerful sense of deliverance. Jacob walked away from God limping. Jesus walked away from the cross with scars. And Jonah walked away in a wonderful spew of whale chunks. And so that's my encouragement to you today. To walk away in a beautiful spew of whale chunks. Because in that moment of being real before God, you'll not just be delivered from the filth and the stink of whatever is there, you'll also be delivered from darkness into God's great and glorious light. And that, friends, that's worth it. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you. And we just pray that you'd help us be real before you. You know our hearts. You know our minds. You know where we've been and what we've done. You know our struggles, our fears. You know our deepest desires. And so God, today I pray that you'd help us be for just a moment like Jonah to spill it all out before you. And so God, as we pray to you in silence, we ask that as you heard Jonah in the belly of a great fish, hear our prayers.
Well, Lord, we pray as your church that you would not only deliver and save us, we also pray that you would revive us. And in doing so, may you send us forth to all the world until you return. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.